Boom, what up? Hello, bonjour, and hola, real leaders. This is Kevin Edwards, your host here, and I am so excited. You're tuning in to one of our amazing experiences. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, real, and loaded with inspiration, guaranteed to support your impact journey. So sit back, enjoy the listen, folks share a review afterward, and always keep it real. Five, four, three, two, and one. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and joining us today, folks, we've got two extraordinary leaders from the Extension Foundation. Please give a warm welcome to Mr. Carl Bradley and Beverly Coberly. Good people. How are we doing today? Thanks for coming on the show. We're doing great. We're anxious to talk with you about what's happening in our foundation and share with with your listeners uh, how we do our work and how we're proud of what we do. Fantastic. And, and and so just maybe some context for really anyone learning about the Extension Foundation for the first time, Beverly, would love to get an, an overview of kind of uh, this extraordinary organization, organization, its large network, and perhaps even the impact you're trying to have. The Extension Foundation was designed and set into place in 2004 to serve the Cooperative Extension Service. So for your listeners who may or may not know about the Cooperative Extension Service, I'll take just a second. The Cooperative Extension Service was set into motion in 1862 with the Morrell Act for 1862 institutions, and in 1890 for Black institutions, and in 1994 it was set into place for uh, the American, uh, Native American population for their for their for their for their land for their institutions so what the foundation does is we serve those institutions our mission is that we uh, help those land-grant institutions a cooperative extension service to make a measurable and visible impact at the local level so you know whenever you get ready we could talk about how does that happen we said at the national level how do we touch the local level it's through land-grant institutions and the cooperative extension service and Carl, maybe go into that a little bit more about uh, this impact Beverly's talking about that you're trying to have on these institutions. What's the work that you do? And maybe do you, are you able to measure this kind of impact? Yeah, Kevin, great question. So these institutions have people placed in every county, parish, borough across our country and our territories as well. So there's about 32,000 folks who are in this network in the counties where you live where everybody who's listening today already lives. And they do all kinds of amazing work in their communities. They're great listeners and learners to serve their communities as well. So it's less of an expert model saying, well, this is what you need to do. Um, it's more kind of learning and then listening and then them leading in their communities to make some differences. So with what, what I do is healthy teams have more impact. So it doesn't matter to me what they're working on. Uh, it, at all, really. They have a passion, they have a team, whether it's a small two, three people, or it's, you know, a more large team, could be a team of uh, people from several different counties coming together, or several states coming together to, to do something. But we know that if their team doesn't 
it isn't healthy, they're not going to have the impact that they all desire to have. And then they're not serving their communities like they really want to. So we work with them so they're more efficient and effective in their work together. And, and Beverly, maybe just some context as well. Like, is there a story that comes to mind about the work that Carl's talking about, where you're really helping develop these leaders in these organizations that stand out to you? Any story that resonates? I'd like to tell you just a little bit more about our structure because it will help. We uh, serve the Cooperative Extension Service on national issues. And what we do is we go to federal agencies and seek opportunities, grant opportunities that we can provide money out to the Cooperative Extension Service so they have funding to work on national issues. So in one of those, the new technologies for ag extension, those uh, those are those are grants from all over the country in various kinds of ways that all relate to USDA strategic priorities. And in those, Carl works with those particular projects to help them do leadership functions or to help them do, sometimes they call him with issues or concerns. I'm having trouble with my team doing this and he helps them to do that. Or sometimes they call him, hey, can you talk, come talk to somebody about what is the leadership capacities or skills that our team can do? So they're varied kinds of opportunities but it's relative to the role that the foundation plays with federal agencies and the relationship to get support for projects across the country on national issues. Interesting. So Beverly, what's what's like your day-to-day like then? I feel like that's a pretty large role. <laughs> My day-to-day, it, it gets pretty varied. We, uh, you know, things that things that we do day-to-day, uh, let me give you another kind of piece of this is, is the kind of grants that we have, because that kind of gives you a little bit more about our servant leadership. Uh, We just got a grant on workforce development, so we're working on a workforce development. I have to, we're working on a workforce development grant where that uh, we're working to pull together across the country with the Cooperative Extension Services, what they are doing and working with that. We work with a grant called Excite out out of CDC. And that is helping with immunization education for adults all across the country. We partner with local health departments. So you kind of beginning to see how we we serve to help to get education. In fact, the whole Morrell Act is getting education to the common man, so and woman across the country. So that those are the things that we do. We uh, are participating in a pest, national pesticide safety education program to help pesticides educators to help do better kinds of applications of pesticides commercially and individually across the country. And those are all service for things about climate, about health, you know, these big issues that our country have, we find places to serve those out. So my day is I get up and deal with all kinds of those things. And my day is that some days we have staff meetings and we, you know, we, because if we're gonna grow our staff, we have to have an opportunity for them to get together and to learn and grow together. That makes a lot of sense. And, and thanks for giving us kind of a little bit more context about the Sorry, organization. It, it's, it's a complex system that's yeah. it's hard to understand. If you don't get some of the pieces, it doesn't make sense. I, I think I got it. I think he, he has kind of allocate a lot of the money to these, you know, it's these institutions that are in your network and then you help train and provide programming and uh, support to have, have them make the most impact. So things like soil health or uh, pesticide education about what's going on for these farmers or these people who are trying to help support these these institutions, uh, Carl. Uh, like, what is like? What is a topical issue right now? Like in these institutions, is it pesticides that are kind of going into our food, our products uh, that people are consuming? Um, wh- what are some topics that are kind of new 
this year or in the past years that are kind of a, a, a hot button issue right now? I tell you what, Kevin, there's some things that just don't ever go away, like time management things, right? Those are always going to be there. One of the things that people are really starting to embrace is this idea. It's a theory, really, but it's how we help them apply it in the best way they can. They can is this this idea of distributed leadership. Everybody's leading. Everyone matters. You want to go to work every day, bring your best self, and know that you're valued. You're heard. Uh, what you bring to the table is really amazing, and you can stay in your strengths and be just have a great, great uh, contribution. Your unique contribution is is totally there um, for for any team. So I will say that that there's um, probably a little bit of a trend going on, but those other things that you know, time is not a renewable resource. Our energy is. And so working with folks to design and collaborate, delegate to different ways is something that we, we're really helping people, people find because the average knowledge worker has 15 minutes a day to reflect on what they're so busy with. That's not enough time to be creative and imaginative that these big issues absolutely require. Yeah. And, and that's actually really interesting. I actually had a conversation yesterday with one of our employees kind of about that and you know, how they're, they're prioritizing their time. And, you know, I, I think what, what I really learned from that is just a lot of the things that are taking away from performance that maybe they should be putting on the back burner for later, you know, and, and, and trying to prioritize prior, in terms of prioritizing their time. Is there an exercise that might be helpful that you could share with like our audience about, you know, who, for, especially the leaders that are out there that are, you know, not managing their time appropriately. You know, I mean, as a CEO, you need to maximize your time in order to you know gain those outcomes that you want. So uh, if you could, if you will, uh, Carl, go into that a little bit more about maybe a way that people can help uh, structure their, their day. Yeah, so I think one of the, one of the things we, that that's really quick that I, I tell people is uh, it works for me and I don't always follow it, but when I do, it really works. And that's, Kevin, don't touch anything twice. You open that email, deal with it, and move on. Don't go on to the next shiny penny until you've dealt with that thing. So, and it works for everything that you have to do. And there's not work and life, right? Work's part of life. So don't touch anything twice is just a good quick reminder that, that people have control, that they, they, they can take control over the amount of email or whatever, and they're feeling their association with it. The other thing we do with some of our, our teams we work with is I have them do an exercise. I have them write down three things they have to do for the project. And then I have them circle the one that they don't feel uniquely gifted, talented, educated, or trained to do. They circle that one thing, and then we talk about it. And that identifies quickly there's a skill gap where we need to add an informal or informal team member. Uh, because everybody uh, just raises their hand and says, yeah, I want to be a great team member. I volunteer for this. And we fill up our plates with a lot of stuff that we probably shouldn't be doing. And we don't know how to tackle it, don't know how to collaborate with. So that's a great exercise to get the teams to kind of redelegate some tasks, especially if you've been at it for a while, then things just kind of get out of balance. And you can, it's not bad intention. It's just, you can rebalance with those quick exercises. And Beverly, just out of curiosity, like what's been your experience with delegation? Like when when did you kind of realize, you know, you needed it or where do you struggle? 
Uh, pretty early on, first of all, I started out in a career of doing programming. I started at the county level in the Cooperative Extension Service doing programs. And then I began to move to administrative level. So I started at the county, ended at the state level, and then came on to the foundation six years ago. And so when I learned to delegate is that the people, I surround my people with, who are smarter than me, who can make, who have depth in things that I could never have depth with. And I delegate those things to them so that they can help us to take us to a level of success that I individually could never do. And so I learned that early on. So I'm happy. And I, it sounds like I'm happy to delegate. I don't mean it in that way, but I'm happy to make sure that the people who have the skills can take these projects and pieces and do them and be successful because we're just much more successful as a foundation when I quote delegate. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's an interesting topic that like every leader will struggle with inevitably. Um, and it's just like every delegation instance is a little bit different, you know, and like sometimes you'll delegate to someone and, you know, uh, Carl, let's say they're just not getting the job done, right? They're not, not getting the job done the way that you thought um, they would be and they will struggle. And so just out of curiosity, like, What's your thought uh, on on patience and, and and you know training leaders to be patient and waiting for for better outcomes and and training individuals after you delegate? What's been your experience with this? Yeah, I think that that's another great question, Kevin. And and you're right; all these instances are slightly different. And the the, the leaders that we work with that are in charge of these teams and whatnot they they all feel this a little bit different because of the situation they're in and at their institution, with their team, uh, the, the work that they're doing. And I think one of, the, one of the best ways to look at it is they need to decide where their line in the sand is. There are some things that they should not delegate because of their, they, they need to take responsibility for. So you can't give some of those things away. And so you, you know what you're going to keep. And then you're engaging with the team members in the ways that are bringing their strengths up to amazing not weaknesses up to mediocre. And so you, when you are able to have the vulnerability to have these conversations with one another, then you can delegate and uh, rebalance these, these tasks effectively. That's interesting. And, and Beverly, I'd love to get your take on just like structure because, you know, what, what I'm hearing from Carl as well is like, you know, taking time to have those, those difficult conversations, keeping the communication open is really important. Um, do you set aside time on a weekly basis uh, in terms of your meetings? Do you believe, are you a very structure-oriented person or are you kind of taking the day as it goes? Um, I think you have to have some structure because I think staff want to hold on to something, but nobody wants to be micromanaged. So let's be careful that when we talk about structure that we distinguish that from micromanagement. I think that in this whole notion of how you help when you delegate, you trust that people will do it. If the people do not succeed, seek as the as the boss, seek to understand why they are not succeeding. And if you can help them succeed, that's what we should do. Uh, that we should always let the employees save face, even if they're not doing their job and things go the wrong direction. The employee should always be able to save face. I, I want people, whatever interaction they have in with our organization and us, it's not just customer service. It's it's the human side of it is the human side of it is because they're going to give us their all if they truly understand the task to do. They understand how to do it. They're given the tools to do it because sometimes it's in that continuum where things fall off the, off the wagon 
It's not that somebody chose not to do it. It's sometimes they didn't understand or we didn't give clear directions or they didn't have the right tools. So first of all, let's understand why they didn't get it done. But you still have to have a conversation with them. And when you do, you keep that human front of it because at that point, it's not so much about the task. It's about saving an employee and training them and getting them to continue on because it's expensive to lose employees and retrain them. You're, you need to try to keep your good employees working and, and focused on the goals that you all have, the organization has. Yeah, I'd say I couldn't agree more. That's very wise. Um, and, and, and Carl, you know, one of the thoughts I had the other day is um, just, you know, around leadership itself. And mm -hmm. can you actually teach leadership? You know, it's just, you know, you, you might be able to have a, maybe a course on it. You can write a book on it, but can you actually teach leadership? You know, in my experience, every leader, you know, is incredibly different. You know, you and Beverly may have different leadership styles, right? Um, so my question to you, Carl, is like, is, is leadership taught or is it inspired? Yeah, that's another great question. And uh, we could be here for two weeks debating about that, right? So um, I think one of the things that we that we try to do is just when people feel like they can bring their whole self, they can be authentic, they're in a psychologically safe environment, because if we're in survival mode, we're stressed. We cannot, we cannot be truly ourselves. And then there's fear that's present and fear drives weird behavior. But one of the things we talk about is kind of a three-part thing is leadership is influence. Thank you, John Maxwell. Leadership's influence. Our influence is felt by others through our behaviors. And our behaviors are driven by our core values, our beliefs. And we get to choose those. And when we can when we can stay in touch with those during any season of our life and career, then we can start to communicate those. Those are our that's our honor code that we expect ourselves to operate in every single day. And when we can do that, we're moving towards a person we really want to be. And I think that's satisfying at the end of the day. And you get some rest and you go again tomorrow. So I don't know if that's <laughs> if that's really answering your question, but I think you know leaders aren't born, right? We all display leadership. We're either having the impact we want to have, the influence we want to have on others, or we're not. Peter Drucker has a great quote that um, I think is, is really, really amazing. I use a lot is our job in life is to make a positive difference, not prove we're right. There's a whole lot in that one. Big difference. Yeah. And I, I like your take on, you know, fear makes people do weird things. I mean, that's absolutely true. And so creating that, that environment uh, uh, where people can be themselves and can, you know, keep it real, I guess, um, is, is really important. Um, hey, good people, it's been a pleasure having you on this program today. I can't believe we're already out of time. So uh, with that, I want to uh, direct this question to, to Beverly. Beverly, bring us home. What is your definition of a real leader? Well, I think my definition of real leader is one we've heard a lot. And it's called servant leader. And I think that is important because the leader, first of all, has to want to serve. And the leader has to focus on others to try to help them to get to serve. Because uh, the issue is, is if you're not growing your employees and growing the work you can do in your organization, then you're not leading. And so I think you have to build a workforce and a culture where everyone can succeed. Kevin, if I might be so presumptuous, you do a lot of these interviews. What do you define as a real leader? Because I think I can learn from you. Well, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think a, a leader is someone who can connect with a bunch of different people in a bunch of different ways. And if enough people are connected inherently, you kind of have a movement. So uh, a leader is someone who just has that ability to 
you know, find the right connection, the right puzzle piece with the right person at the right time. And that, that to me is just, a, it, it's a special talent um, that, that leaders really have and a, and a special opportunity and responsibility that they have. So, um, but thank you for asking Beverly. No one's ever asked me that question. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, I think, you know, it goes back to leaderships in art. It's not a science. Uh, it it is. is art. And I do want to tell you one more thing that we are a vir totally virtual organization. So as you think about the things we've talked about today, we apply this in a totally virtual environment and are very successful. It's incredible what you guys are doing. Well, thank you so much for sharing and dropping some knowledge on the podcast today for Bever Beverly Coberly and Carl Bradley. I'm Kevin Edwards asking to go out there, be a servant leader and always keep it real. Thank you both. Thank you. Thanks, Kevin. Hey, Releaders, thanks again for listening to this amazing episode. And if you're someone like me who goes all the way to the end just to make sure I can extract as much information, education, and inspiration out of every single interview, might I suggest you check out our magazine. If you go online to Releaders.com today, you're gonna get the first 30 days for free where you're gonna be able to access all of our magazines courses and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to realleaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. Again, that's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for being a real leader and always keep it real.